This morning, if you would, turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 10, and says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he said, The new covenant he had made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Paul is making a comparison here between the, the service under the law of Moses and now where we are in the dispensation in the New Testament age in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is that what God says he would do here in the new covenant for children of God, he did the same thing for the children of God under the old covenant. Those that lived under the law, they knew the Lord the same way that you and I know the Lord, and that is he introduces himself to us. So God did not regenerate people in the Old Testament by the law and in the New Testament directly by the Spirit of God. He gave them eternal life the same way in the Old Testament. But the focus now is on the grace of God. The focus is on uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary and how in this new covenant, the New Testament, the new promise that we find in the New Testament age, uh, it's all, it puts all its focus on the Lord and none on our activity. If the Lord will bless us today, we'd like to look at the subject of the new birth, also called regeneration, uh, often called the effectual call. There's a number of names that the Bible uh, gives this doctrine. The doctrine of the new birth is one of my very favorite in the Bible. Um, as we've looked over the last few weeks, we've looked at the eternal phase of salvation. Once again, that's where God before the world began for new his people, meaning he knew us intimately in love. And because of that, he then elected out of the race of Adam, his people, and predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. Those are the things that God did before the world began. Of course, we saw then the following week how because of the fall of Adam and sin entering into the world, something must be done so that we might be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that that was taken care of in the legal phase of salvation, as we saw last week, when Jesus came as our substitute. And when he died on the cross, satisfaction was made to God. You and I were justified, and now we stand redeemed. Now, in Christendom, there's... There's little controversy about the legal phase in this sense. Most would agree that we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Uh, now, some would dispute the doctrine of election, and some would dispute on how the redemption we have in Christ Jesus becomes real in our lives. So any Christian you ask, if you ask them, how are you saved? Most would say, I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now, they may differ with you and I on how many are saved and why it is we're saved. We know we're saved because God elected us before the world began. And we know that there's a particular number who will be in heaven because of the electing work of God before the world began. 
We also would disagree with many in the world about how salvation becomes vital to you and I. And when I say vital, it means uh, it becomes alive uh, to you and me. When, when an ambulance came uh, yesterday, one of the things they would do for Sister Beverly or any, what do they check for? Vital signs. What does that mean? Signs of life. Uh, uh, when a, a person is shot, maybe they'll say, well, it didn't hit any vital parts. What does that mean? Well, important, but also life-giving parts of our body. So when we talk about the vital phase of salvation, it's when salvation becomes alive and becomes real to each and every one of us. There's disagreement in the world of Christianity about how it is that salvation becomes real and alive to each and every one of us. Some believe that we are born again, that we're regenerated when we hear the gospel. There are others that believe that we're not born again until we're baptized. However, we find that the scriptures will tell us in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, he says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you this question. Is baptism a righteous work? It is. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus told John the Baptist, Thus it behooves us, becometh us, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was doing a righteous thing when he was baptized. When you were baptized, you did a righteous thing. Later today, we hope to see three individuals do a righteous work. When you believed the gospel, that was a righteous thing that you did. That was a good thing when you, in your mind, uh, consented to the reality of the truth that salvation is holy and completely by the grace of an almighty sovereign God. That was a righteous work. Now, it took the work of God, but it also took the work of your mind and heart and also your submission to this reality. Now, Paul just said in Titus chapter 3, again, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, baptism, I submit clearly from Matthew 3, is a righteous act. So our new birth cannot be by virtue of us being baptized. Uh, our new birth cannot be by virtue of us believing the gospel. Uh, a, a person uh, that's still a dead alien sinner has no desire uh, for the things of the gospel. He has only a natural mind at that point, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He, goes, he, he lets us know in that chapter, much like Jesus does when he speaks to Nicodemus in John 3, that that which is of the earth is earthy, uh, that who knoweth man? But the spirit of man that's in him? In other words, how do we understand uh, human? Because we have the nature of you. Then how are we going to understand heavenly things? Then we must have a heavenly nature to understand heavenly things. And of course, you and I cannot accomplish and um, receive a heavenly nature without divine work from the sovereign God who's created all things. So again, there's disagreement on how, how salvation comes to us. Again, most will agree that Yes, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. But how does that blood become real in my life and your life? Well, here in Hebrews 8, Paul tells us how it becomes real. Again, he says, for this is the covenant. This is the promise that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I 
will put my laws into their mind and I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now I suspect that as I'm speaking this morning, there are individuals in this world who have tracts and writings and even maybe small copies of New Testament volumes that they are handing out to folks in hopes that they will introduce these people to the Lord, and through that, those folks would be saved to heaven. Now, I'm not knocking that. I, that's what they understand. That's what they know to be the way in which salvation is to be. And if I believed that, I would hope that I would have the care and concern for people all over this world, that I would uh, wear out every pair of shoes I have, every tire on my car, and uh, wear out airplanes traveling the world to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ in hopes that they might know Him and be saved. And so if a person believes that and they're actively engaged in trying to uh, teach their neighbor to know the Lord, I, I thank God they're trying. Uh, that's just not the way, though, that a person's going to know the Lord. Now, through our efforts of preaching the gospel, folks can know about the Lord, but if they're going to know the Lord, the Lord must first come and introduce himself. Now, I can introduce them to the name of Jesus Christ through the gospel, but if Jesus Christ hadn't already introduced himself in his person, in their heart and soul, anything that I might say or do is, is going to be fruitless. So again, he says, this is the covenant. This is the promise I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in there, not that they'll obey the law and it becomes alive to them. He says, and not only will I put my law into their minds, he says, I'll write them in their hearts. How did you know even before you understood the gospel something was wrong? Because the law of God, after you were born of the Spirit of God, was already in your heart, whether you understood the precepts of the gospel or not. And your heart will testify to you whether you're doing right or wrong. You have a conscience within you when you're born of the Spirit of God because God has put his law in your mind and in your heart. And then it says, after he does it, he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the gracious. And then he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I want to be quick this morning, uh, but I don't want to rush at the same time. So I'm in a little bit of a fix to uh, try to bring this to our minds, but at the same time be mindful of the time for the events we have uh, to go through today. In the third chapter of the Gospel of John, we look at a very, very familiar conversation that Jesus has with a man, a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, whether or not Nicodemus is born again at this time is really not important to what is being discussed. Now, I'll tell you right now, I believe Nicodemus is born again or he wouldn't have had interest in talking to the Lord Jesus in the things that he's talking about. Now, there were Pharisees that had interest in talking to Jesus, but not uh, for the same reason that Nicodemus has interest. Now, Nicodemus comes by night, and there's a reason he comes by night. He does not want the Sanhedrin to know that he has an interest in the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us that there were many among the Jews, even some among the Pharisees, that would have received him. But, of course, the Pharisees stood in the way, and they feared what would happen to them if they 
actually went out and joined themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Nicodemus, there's something about Jesus that has him so stirred up that he's going to take the risk, even at night. He could have still been discovered, but in spite of that, he's going to do his best to do it under the cover of darkness. But he knows he still could be exposed, but he still has a desire. There's something within him that is driving him to talk to Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus is speaking a truth that even in John chapter 9, when the man that was born blind began to defend the Lord Jesus, and they began to say, well, is he a prophet? Is he a good? All those things. And then finally, at the end of it, that man was able to proclaim with certainty that he's the son of God. But anyway, here's Nicodemus. He understands He knows that Jesus is doing things that a man could not do except God be with him. Now, up to this point, Jesus is doing things that Elijah did. He's doing things that Elisha did. Say, you know, Elijah was blessed to uh, raise folks from the dead. On one occasion, as he was there with the widow of Sarepta and her son dies, God blesses him with the ability to restore that young man back to life. Elisha, he brings two folks back to life. Uh, we'll find that he brings one person back to life while he's living and another after he's already died. Uh, He's in the grave and they're having a funeral and here comes an invading army. They don't have time to worry about a burial. They just throw this man's uh, corpse in on the bones of Elisha and as soon as he touched the bones of Elisha, he got up and was alive. Talk about the ability to give life. Of course, that still came from God. So... uh, Nicodemus isn't necessarily saying you are God. He says, but I do understand that the things you're doing, you couldn't do except God be with you. So Nicodemus has not quite made the leap necessarily that this is the son of God. But he does understand that what I'm seeing Jesus do and hearing about, we saw Elisha do that and Elijah do that. That's been talked about throughout the ages. And God was obviously with those men. So God must be with Jesus. So Jesus answered and said unto him, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When it says there in verse 3, born again, in your center column reference of a good center column reference Bible, it'll say again or also from above. So when Jesus said you must be born again, it says you must be born from above. That's letting us know where this birth proceeds from. It is a heavenly birth. This is not an earthly birth. And Jesus will go on and talk about that. But he tells Nicodemus, once again, he says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think Nicodemus is seeing the kingdom of God. And Jesus is letting him know, you're able to see this because you've been born from above. Something has happened to you, in you, and for you that is not earthly in its nature or its origin. It came from heaven itself. And when you were given divine life by the Spirit of God, something happened to you, in you, and for you that proceeded directly out of the throne room of heaven. That ought to make us shouting happy to think that heaven was so concerned with us that God reached down out of heaven and made us partakers of the divine nature. Now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and this was done from heaven for us, to us, and in us. Thank God you and I have the love of Christ in us because he first loved us and put his life and love within us. 
So Nicodemus is told, unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, of course, I mean, he's, he's, he's trying to learn. He asked a question. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, he doesn't tell him. I would probably answer the question. I probably said, Nicodemus, you're just not getting what I'm saying here. Now, Jesus kind of does that in a different form, but he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, when he mentions water here, understand he's not talking about the water that you see behind me. We've already quoted Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, the Apostle Paul says, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. When he talks there about the washing of regeneration, it literally means, if you trace that out, the bath of the new birth. That there is a cleansing that takes place in the life of a child of God uh, when they're born again by the Spirit of God. He says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's some uh, controversy about that term renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you mean they're uh, just uh, uh, renewing something that was already there. That's not what it means. Renewing there means a renovation for the better. Uh, for those who saw the house we lived in before we bought it, it was broken down. It was in shambles. It was in a bad way. Now, some days if you come by, you might think it still is, but... Uh, um, it looks totally different. We did a renovation there. It's still the same house, but it looks a lot better than it did eight years ago. Uh, uh, the Lord blessed us and we were able to. When the Spirit of God comes, when it says renewing of the Holy Ghost, it means a renovation of, meaning proceeding from the Holy Ghost. So when you and I are born again, we're, uh, we have the washing of regeneration, the bath of the new birth. We're cleansed by the Spirit of God. And then the Holy Ghost renovates us. Uh, he makes us for the better. Now that doesn't mean our old nature is totally gone. It is not. In fact, it's wholly intact. But now a new nature has been introduced. So he says that here we were, not saved by our own works of righteousness, but by the washing of regeneration. So he talks here about uh, cleansing. He says, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So now Jesus tells Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. What's He's talking about the same thing Paul was in Titus 3, 5 when he talked about the washing of regeneration. He's letting him know. See, the Jews understood ceremonial washings. Go back and read what Moses was told of God that the priests must do before they could go and make offerings on a daily basis. And certainly on the Day of Atonement. There were washings they had to do. Now, there was one washing that Aaron was to have done to him that was only to be done one time. And that would suffice not only for um, Aaron, but all of Aaron's sons. Uh, it was a one-time washing. That was all it would need. That was consecrating the ministry of Aaron, and that would satisfy God throughout the ages. That typifies for you and I, when you and I are born again, that's a one and done proposition. It never needs to be done again. It's secure. It's final. Eternal life has been given to you when you're born to the Spirit of God. It never needs to be done again. But there were a lot of washings that took place under the Old Testament service, so they understood the need for cleansing. And so when Jesus said, except a man be born of the water, and he's not talking about first they had to be born naturally, and then they'll be born. That's not what's under consideration. It's not the waters of the womb. It's not the waters of baptism. 
It's the same washing that Paul talked about in Titus 3.5. It's the bath of the new birth. And that's what Jesus is here referencing. He said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Then he says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's just common sense. A man apart from the spirit of God cannot know or understand or discern the things of the spirit of God. Why? We don't have that nature. Now, I can understand the things of a man. Why? Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. I have that nature. I can understand it. Now, if I'm going to understand spiritual things, then I'm going to have to be born of the Spirit so that I can understand spiritual things. And so here we see that the new that regeneration is referenced as a birth. It's been asked before, but it's still a, a pertinent question. Did you have anything to do with your natural birth? You were not involved except passively in your conception. You were not involved in the time of gestation in your mother's womb except passively. And you were not involved except passively when uh, you came forth from your mother's womb. That was, you had no active part in all of that process. If that is true naturally, you have no power to have yourself conceived, no power uh, to make sure that you're healthy in the womb, no power to bring yourself forth from the womb. If we don't even have the power to get out of our mother's belly and come out, out to, into this world, how in the world could we take ourselves from a state of death and sins to a state of life in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's completely impossible with us. As we said last, day, last week, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it's ludicrous to think that you and I could have ourselves born from heaven. We couldn't have ourselves born on the earth. It took the power of someone else for us to be conceived naturally and for us to come into this world as natural human beings. For us to be the sons of God is going to take a supernatural act, an act out of heaven, uh, to give us divine life through the new birth. So now the, the Lord makes that clear. He says, marvel not. He says, don't be confounded by this. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And then he makes this universal statement. I said at the outset from Hebrews chapter 8 that even those under the old covenant were born again the same way. And it's by the Spirit of God. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, meaning wherever it desires. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What's the point? The wind is sovereign. Uh, the wind is not going to be controlled. Uh, the wind is going to do what it's going to do. Last summer, when Hurricane Ian was coming up and barreling, the, well, I guess it wasn't barreling, it was going fairly slow compared to Irma, but when it was coming up, you know what, I had a lot of time to pray. And I was begging God to do something with that wind that I couldn't do. Uh, and uh, thankfully, he did, and we saw very little damage. Sadly, other folks saw an, a massive amount of damage. You think those folks down around Fort Myers and South wouldn't have gone out and redirected that wind if they could have? I guarantee you they would have. They could not. If you and I can't control and govern the wind that blows in nature, you think you're going to govern and control the Spirit of God? You cannot. He will regenerate whom He will, when He will, but He always does it the same way. And that is, He comes into the heart of the child of God. It may be in the mother's womb, 
It may be in the midlife of a person like Saul of Tarsus. It could be in the dying breath like it was the thief on the cross. But sometime between the time you're conceived in your mother's womb and you breathe out your life, the Holy Ghost will introduce God to you because He's going to bring eternal life into your heart. And that's true for every uh, one of the elect of God. The ones that God knew before the world began and Jesus legally died for at Calvary's cross, the Holy Spirit will make salvation vital for while they live here in this world. Uh, you may not know what happened. I couldn't tell you when I was born again. I have no clue whatsoever, whensoever that was. I don't know. I've talked to some folks. They can tell me the precise moment. Paul could tell you the precise moment. The thief on the cross could tell you the precise moment. I can't tell you for, my, for me. It might have been in my mother's womb. It might have been when I was an infant. It could have been when I was two years old. I don't know. Because I never remember a time that I didn't know the Lord. I don't have memory of that. And I'm thankful. But I'm also glad to talk to folks from time to time that tell me the precise moment. And I've heard people say, even though, well, that, they can't tell you when they were born again. Well, Paul of Tarsus, or Saul of Tarsus sure could. And if Saul of Tarsus could, I think there's folks that are alive today that could as well. So God is not constrained. He doesn't have to regenerate us all in the womb. And he doesn't have to wait until our dying breath. He can do it anywhere in between. And he will. I've, had, I've heard people actually pray, some even with our name, asking God to regenerate. But I don't. I don't know how to pray for that. I feel like I'm stepping over into an area that's just not my business. I'm going to trust God to give divine life to his elect when he will, where he will. And I'm not going to try to direct him in when to do it. I'm certainly not going to try to direct him in how to do it. Now, there may be moments so far as I've said, I think I see evidence in all of our children that are born of the Spirit of God. Highly in, it's hard to tell yet. Adley, there's some moments we're not quite so sure. Uh, and uh, the older two, we're pretty certain. We've got enough evidence there. I, I think we can, we can safely say. Uh, the younger two still trying to find, figure that out. But, you know, I've never prayed. Not one time. Evelyn will be 10 years old tomorrow. In 10 years of being a parent, plus nine months, I've never one time prayed for God to regenerate one of my children. Never. Now, I have hoped they're part of the family of God. I've hoped for that. But even, I can't control that even. But I've hoped for that. But I've never one time prayed that God would regenerate one of my children. Why? Because the wind, just like the wind blows where it listed, so is everyone that is born. God will do that when he will and where he will. And I don't have to worry about that. I, don't, I wasn't there for the eternal phase of salvation. I wasn't there for the legal phase. I was present for the vital phase passively. And I'll be passive in the final phase when Jesus comes to glorify me. And I'm not going to have charge of that either. I'll be present, hopefully. I hope to be on the earth when it happens. I hope when we hear the voice of the archangel and the last trump sounds, I hope to be here. I hope it, in fact, I hope it's today. Uh, I, I do. I, I would give up everything. And, well, I'm going to give up everything when it happens anyway. But I'd give up everything if it'd be today. And gladly so. 
I don't understand folks who say, well, I don't want Jesus to come back yet. You know, I want to do this. No, I, I, yes, I hope to uh, see my children go and have great, all that. But if I don't get to experience that because of the second coming, I promise you, I will not feel like I missed out on anything. And you won't feel that way either. Anyway, so Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus makes it clear that a, a person to understand the things of the Spirit of God must be born from above. Paul tells us again in Titus 3, verse 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now there's a lot of different terms the Bible uses to describe the effectual call, meaning how we are saved vitally when salvation becomes real to us. We've already looked at the, it's called a birth. Um, we've read this before, John chapter 1. We find the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples, uh, speaks not to his disciples, he just speaks here. It says, or John said, he came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born, he says, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how a verse could be any more plain. Again, he says, we were born... That's how we believe on his name. That's how we are sons of God. We were born into his family. But how were we born? He says, it wasn't of blood. He says, nor the will of flesh. So it wasn't because you were born into a certain family. And it wasn't because your flesh desired to be part of the family. He says, nor of the will of man. Uh, even as much as I might desire it for somebody, that's not going to bring it about. And if somebody's not already born of the Spirit, they're not going to will it for themselves. Psalm 110, uh, uh, well, uh, Psalm, excuse me, David writes, he says this, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Some say, well, a sinner just has to get willing. Well, they'll get willing after God gives them a will. Paul says to the church at Philippi, Philippi he says, It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, so if you have any will toward the things of God, it's not because all of a sudden you as a sinner say, well, I think I'll be willing to uh, cooperate with God now. No. And God didn't work with your will to give you divine life. He says, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. It takes the power of God to make you willing towards the things of God. And don't worry, he has the power to do that. Uh, he can take a dead alien sinner and, and bring them to life in Christ without any trouble whatsoever. <laughs> if he can... Uh, say, let there be light, and there's light. He can certainly enter into a sinner's life. Come into their heart, take out the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh therein, write his laws upon our hearts and minds, and take up a residence with us. He can do that, and we don't have to be willing. It's not like over in the book of Revelation when he's talking to the church there, and he's standing at the door knocking. They say, well, see, there's sinner. He's knocking at your doors, uh, the, heart, the door of your heart. You just got He wasn't talking to uh, dead alien sinners there. He's talking to a church that had separated themselves in fellowship from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he says, if a man, any man come and open, I will come in and sup with him individually, not even the entire congregation. So one of the verses this world uses the most to tell you that you have to get willing and you have to open the door to Jesus so that he can come in. And don't worry, Jesus is going to bust down the door of your heart and get where he wants to be. Okay. Anyway, so it's titled a birth. It's also titled a calling. 
In John chapter 5, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. He says in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, notice that, that's past tense, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. I told you uh, when we were talking about uh, those in need of prayer and announcements, yesterday I heard uh, one of the best discourses I've ever heard on Romans 8 verse 1 where it says, There is therefore now... I love that word now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Notice what Jesus here says. He says, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, that's talking about the Father. He says, hath is already in possession of everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. He says, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This person has already been born of the Spirit of God. He says this person shall not be condemned, but rather this person has already passed from death to life. That's already occurred. Now, that is why they're able to hear his word and believe on the Father that sent him. Uh, because they've already been born of the Spirit of God. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 25. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear. Here is a calling that happens in the life of a child of God. He says, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. I remember, in fact, you can go on the internet and hear this. Some of the older members here remember Elder Norman Cooper. Sadly, in his later life, he went off on a, a major doctrinal point. But uh, I loved Brother Norman. I knew him personally. I loved to hear him preach. He was an outstanding preacher. There's a, one sermon I found of his on the internet, and it's called, <laughs> I love it, the, the Call of the Spirit of God, the Gospel Call, and the Final Call. Call it the three calls of the Bible. Great sermon. Great sermon. Uh, go listen to it. if you PrimitiveBaptistSermons.org. It's on there. Um, and he just lined out how that sometime in our experience, there's going to be a call from heaven, the divine call, when we're called from death to life in Christ. He said, and hopefully in our experience, we'll hear the gospel call and, and respond. And he said, but we'll all hear the final call. We'll hear the first one. We'll hear the last one. Hopefully we'll be blessed to hear the one in between. Well, here Jesus is talking about the first call, the call to divine life. He's going to talk in a few moments about the final call. Now, he's already talked about the call in between, about us hearing and believing. So he really addresses all three. And he lets us know that if we are able to hear the second call, the gospel call, we are not in condemnation. We've already passed from death to life. Now he tells us how it is that we pass from death to life. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. So he's saying this is going to happen in the future. It's happening right now. And he could have even put in there if he wanted, and it's happened in the past. But he says this is going to happen, and it's happening right now. He says, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. This is a call that is made by the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Ghost from heaven to the life and heart of a child of God who's dead in trespasses and sins. And there's no barrier for this call. There's no, 
worry about uh, whether it's 4G technology, 5G, or the coming 6G I'm recently reading about. The Lord doesn't have to worry about it. There, The signal on earth may be bad in the sense of us trying to reach those that we long. Don't worry, though, when God is ready to make a call to a dead alien sinner that belongs to him by virtue of God, knowing them before the world began, electing them and predestinating, and Jesus having shed his blood for them, when he's ready to give them divine life in the effectual call in the new birth, he will make sure the reception is fine. The call will get through. <laughs> There'll be no busy signal to the Lord. It's going to happen. Notice the certainty Jesus speaks with. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice. Not they might hear, hopefully they hear this could happen, might happen, should happen. No, he says, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. He says, for as the Father had life in himself, so had he given to the Son to have life in himself. And had given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, he's given me the same authority he has he has life in himself, I have life in myself, and I have the authority to execute judgment. That means I can say who will be born again, and for those who are not the elect can be passed over, and they have no right to complain about it. Now notice verse 28, because some say in verse 25, well, you know, he's talking about the resurrection there. No, he's not, because he makes that plain in verse 28. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Who? The same voice that we hear, hear talked about in verse 25. Verse 25, the voice of the Son of God. He says, the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves. Now, this is talking about righteous and wicked. This is without exception. He says, when all shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Can you imagine on the resurrection day, somebody, especially an elect, <laughs> In the tomb, just say, Jesus, now I'm happy right here where I am in the grave. That's not going to happen. Even the wicked, well, I mean, their soul and spirits are already tormented in hell. Now they're going to have a physical body to be tormented along with it. Nobody's going to resist when Jesus comes at the last day and his voice speaks and all of a sudden the grave's open. There's not going to be anybody that sits back and says, no, I think I'd rather just stay here in this tomb. That, that's ludicrous, is it not? I mean... It's not going to happen that way. Every grave is going to open and every body is going to rise. It's going to be amazing to behold. I mean, we don't know where everybody's buried. I mean, we, in the last couple hundred years or 300 years here in America, we've set out cemeteries. They've done that in foreign lands. But I've seen even in recent times where they go in to do some developments and they all of a sudden unearth uh, human remains. We don't know everywhere. We could be here in church and all of a sudden somebody right out here in the front yard comes up. There might be somebody under the slab of this building right now and it's not going to be in the way. If you were on a cruise liner on the sea, you might see bodies come up from the depths of the sea. I don't know where they're all going to come from, but I know this. God knows where everybody of every human being resides right now. And every single one of them, whether righteous or wicked, they all shall come up at the voice of the Son of God. They're all going to respond. Not one of them will resist, righteous or wicked. And then it goes on to say, they shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So here again, he, he says it's a call. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, he says the same thing. It says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world 
began. So when you're born of the Spirit of God, that's in accordance with the purpose of God and His grace, which was given us legally before the world began. Uh, God, before the world began, made this promise that Jesus fulfilled the terms of that contract when He was here. And there's coming a time for every child of God that there will be a call made. It's a holy calling. It's not according to our works, but it is according. It's in full agreement with the purpose and grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So those that were uh, destined by God to be conformed to the image of Jesus will be called into divine life. He said them, he called him also justified. He made them right before God. And those he justified, he also glorified. God looks at it as though it's all completely done. It's called a drawing in the word of God. Now the call, we don't make the call. We don't even necessarily answer the call other than we just respond because we have no choice. We're passive in the call. We're passive in the birth. We're passive when he draws us. John chapter 6 verse 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. That word draw there literally means to overpower the will with a power that is greater than the one that is being drawn. Again he says no man can come to me. Now he'll say earlier that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. But now he says no man can come to me. Well, wait a minute. What in the world? Jesus just told us a few verses before. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now he's saying no man can come to me. Well, which is it? It's both. Uh, everybody that God gave to his son will come to Jesus. But none of us come to Jesus on our own terms. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, overpower him with a power that is greater than theirs. He says, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So it's called a drawing. In the days of the Bible, well, even today, uh, when we go out fishing with our children and cast in a hook and a worm, and that, I'm telling you, that fish does not want to come out. Most of the time, the line that I've got stronger than the fish. I'm stronger than the fish for the ones I'm fishing for. And I just overpower it, and I pull it out against its will. I mean, it's against its nature to be out of the water, and it does not want to willingly come out. The same way, it is against our will uh, with our human nature to respond positively to God until he gives us a new nature, and then we're drawn to him, and he overpowers us, gives us the love of God, and now we do want to be with him. It's called a quickening as well. So it's called a birth, it's called a call, it's called a drawing, it's called a quickening. What does the word quickening mean? Giving life. And you had the quickening, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You hath he given life who were dead. Obviously, it's clear that a dead person cannot bring life to themselves. It's impossible. They can do nothing. In this case, they're dead in trespasses and sins. That means they can do nothing that's pleasing in the sight of God. Uh, that's why it said, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. There's nothing we can do because there's, apart from the spirit of Christ, there's nothing in us that God would find attractive to start with. 
So he says, and you hath he quickened. So God comes to somebody who is dead and trespasses and sins and just says, live. Like in Ezekiel chapter 16, when he talks about uh, the children of Israel and lets them know about their nature. He says, y'all think that y'all have this wonderful heritage. He says, no, your mother and father, one of them was an Amorite, one was a Hittite. He's letting them know, you come from a wicked stock. He said, here you are bragging about who you are and what you are. No, I'm letting you know that you're just like the ites of the land in which you dwell. He said, it doesn't matter if it's the Perizzites, the Canaanites. The he says, you're just like them. He says, and here you are cast out as an infant child in the open field, polluted in your own blood to the loathing of thy person. He said, none I pitied thee to have compassion on thee. He says, you weren't salted at all. You weren't swatted at all. So here it is, an infant child. And I know people think children are pretty. I haven't thought a single one of our children in the moment of their birth was an attractive thing to look at. Not one. Now, you may say mine were, and you can lie if you want to, but I'm telling the truth. They were not pretty, and I couldn't wait for them to get them cleaned up. And even better, I like them laying under that lamp a little while so that they finally relax uh, and get over the process of birth. Now, I understand why they look like they do, uh, but they're, they're not attractive. And you can say, that's the most beautiful. No, it's not. It looks like some alien being has just ascended into the earth. Uh, um, and I'll just, I'm real about it, okay? <laughs> now, I think all of my children are beautiful now, but I didn't think they were to start with. Um, and I say that for this reason. Imagine an infant child, polluted in blood, still covered in all that happens, and now is just thrown out into a field. Covered in, I don't want to be too, blood, birth matter, and now even into the dust and the dirt and the twigs and grass of this world just all mingled together. What good is that child? I mean, it looks weak. It can't do nothing. It's polluted. But notice what God says. He says, but when I passed by, I said unto thee, live. And then he says that he took his skirts and covered over that child. He says, and behold, thy time was the time of love. God has given us there a, a, a very apt picture of exactly what we are in nature apart from the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. We're helpless. We're just as helpless as an infant child, but here we are covered and polluted. Obviously, nobody cares. Nobody loves us. Nobody, but God does. And so God comes and covers us with the skirts of his garment. And he says, I say to you, live. And then he says, thy time was the time of love. That's what happened when you and I were born of the Spirit. We were given life. God told us to live. And then he covers us with his own garment. See, when we go into glory, we're going to wear robes of righteousness, but they're not our own robes. We're going to be given the robes of the Lord Jesus Christ and wear his garments. Thankfully, we're covered by the garments of the skirt of God. So it's called a quickening. It's also called a resurrection. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, you have no power to give yourself life from the dead. And you know, have no power as a dead person to be resurrected. You cannot resurrect yourself. It takes someone doing it. I mean, when you read about the resurrections of the Old Testament, when you read about Elijah's day, and when you read about Elisha's day, you certainly don't see dead bodies just getting up of their own accord. When we look into the days of the Lord Jesus Christ and he comes there to the 
uh, a woman to the woman of Nain, or when he goes to uh, uh, the house of Jairus, you, they didn't just say, well, I'd like to get up and live again. That didn't happen that way. Jesus raised them back to life. There's coming a day when we'll see the resurrection of our bodies, but if you are here and you love the gospel message, God has already resurrected your soul and spirit. You've already experienced the first resurrection. And, and because of that, you don't have to be worried about death and all that comes with it. It's called a translation as well. Colossians chapter 1. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. If you were at El Bethel on Friday night, you heard a wonderful message about this uh, by Brother Hassenmeyer when he talked about us being translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son of God. Obviously, you and I cannot translate ourselves out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. That takes the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the uh, example has been given, the analogy, and I think it's still a good one. Uh, when this Bible in 1611 was translated out of the original languages, did that uh, original uh, Old Testament Bible in Hebrew, did it all of a sudden just start writing itself into English? The New Testament that was in Greek and Latin, did it all of a sudden just start translating itself into English that we have today? Obviously not. It took somebody initiating that process, King James. He initiated the process. And then many scholars were gathered together that understood those original languages and they worked together for a long time and they would parcel out parts of the Bible and those men in their wisdom, I believe guided by the Spirit of God, uh, translated uh, the Word of God that we have here today. It took human effort for this to happen, uh, guided, I trust, by God for us to have the King James translation that we uh, use today here in our congregation. Obviously, it didn't translate itself. Somebody had to do that work. Men did that work. God guided that work. And God has preserved this work for over 400 years now. And he's preserved his word all the way back to when Moses first put his first pen to the scroll. He's preserved his word to this generation as he told David that he would. But as, as this word was translated by the means of another, you likewise were translated out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son by the power of another. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Several other terms, and we're out of time, we're called a new creation. So when God regenerates us, there's something new about us. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So if any man be in Christ, he says he is a new creature. He's been created by Christ. Ephesians 2 makes that clear as well. It says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he had before ordained that we should, not that we will, but that we should walk in them. So here you and I, as children of God, born to the Spirit of God, we are divine creatures. You and I have a part, that's why we're partakers of the divine nature. There is something within us that is divine that God, the, God, the Holy Ghost and God the Son and God the Father, they are the creators. You didn't create yourself as a person in Christ. That obviously you didn't create yourself to start with naturally and you certainly do, didn't do so spiritually. God took care of that. It's also called a circumcision of the heart. And this is done by God. It's something you couldn't do, even if you'd have wanted to. 
He lets us know that we've been buried, Colossians 2, that you and I have been buried with Jesus in baptism, wherein also we've been risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. When you and I were raised by Christ, in Christ, to have life in Christ, there was an operation that God did that you could never do. He circumcised your heart. That's why he could say in Galatians that if we're in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creature. That's what avails. So, but there is a circumcision that does very much matter. Colossians chapter 2, he says, Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. How again? Through the faith of the operation of God. God does this heart surgery. God comes and that stony heart that you had that resisted God, hated God, couldn't stand anything about God. God removes that out of the way and puts instead a heart that loves God, that's tender towards God, the things of God and God's people. If you have any uh, kindness and uh, tenderness towards anything that's godly, it's because you've been circumcised in the heart and you didn't do that yourself. That took a surgeon that's out of this world to do that. There's no heart, and I tell you what, I'm thankful for heart surgeons. Uh, they did a lot for my grandfather. A few years ago, they saved my father's life. My father, almost 10 years ago now, went in and come to find out his main artery was 100% blocked. And thank God for those heart surgeons that could take care of that. I'm very thankful for that, and I'm certain that there's going to be a day that they're going to be running those stents into my heart, and I'll be thankful for them that day. But as much as I'm grateful for what they can do, I'm far more thankful for the surgeon in heaven who was able to take the heart out of me that hated God and instead put one in that loves the Lord. So again, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it clear that if you and I are going to see or enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again. And all of these terms we use, it's clear that we are passive in every single one. So our, the, the vitality of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes real to us the same way as that which took place in eternity past, we'll put it that way, at the cross and what will happen at the last day. And that is without our assistance, without our agency. God does not use you or me to make salvation real and vital in our lives. He didn't use us to elect us, to predestinate us. He did not use us to redeem us at Calvary. He will not use us at the last day when we're glorified. So why all of a sudden would he leave this one aspect of our salvation, the vital phase of it, why would he leave that to you? Or why would he leave it to me as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel? Now, I've been blessed this week. I've been in church in four different churches in two different states since Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I was preaching in Mississippi, sitting in my chair at home. <laughs> uh, I preached for Union Church of Ruth, Mississippi on Wednesday night. Friday night, I was at Old Bethel. Yesterday, I was at Mount Zion. Today, I'm at Little Union. The Lord has blessed me. To, but you know, as thankful as I have been to be in all these services this weekend, which have really encouraged and nourished me, I know that God didn't use that to regenerate the first person. I hope through some of the messages that I have spoken that folks have been able to learn more about Jesus, to be drawn closer to Jesus, to try to want to serve him better, but I'm under no delusion that it's true, and I don't want it to be entrusted to my care to bring salvation to you. I want that solely in the hands of the one who's capable to do it, and that is 
the Spirit of God, giving divine life to the ones that Jesus died for, and those that he died for, the ones that God the Father elected and gave to him before the world was. See, God has wrapped it all up in a really neat package and taken care of it all, and thank God that he has. May God bless you, sir.